You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? Oh, wow. How are we doing this morning? Are we awake? All right. It has been an incredible morning already. Uh, pre-service prayer was uh, amazing, and I know every time that, that happens, I'm like, I'm excited for what God's going to do. And uh, we had an incredible altar time in our first service, and one of the things I was really encouraged, uh, my wife leaned over, and she's like, look at all the men at the altar. And I was so encouraged by that, because I, I think, again, I love what, what God does when, uh, when men step out in faith and believe for God to move. Uh, and that's not to put women down, it's just y'all have been doing that the whole time. Uh, <laughs> we need men to step into that space. Well, I was so encouraged by that. Uh, we, we do talk about that as a church, that we want to reawaken and reestablish the altar. And what that means is uh, we believe in uh, matching our physical posture with our heart posture and taking steps of faith and stepping out and believing that God will meet us, that God will move, that God will heal, and God will transform. I don't know if you knew this today, but we didn't gather here just for information. We gathered here for transformation. We gathered here because God is a healer. We gather here because God renews hearts and lives, that he rebuilds families, he restores. It, it's amazing what God can do. And so uh, you might be wondering, why then this space? Is the, is the tile up here more holy? It's like, yeah, actually, we put holy water in with, the, with Christ to step out and believe in faith right? You are here because of your relationship with the Lord, and then that relationship is someone in your family. Move. Amen? Amen. I think after last year, there is no time for just playing church. We need a move of God. We need revival. We need him to move upon every person, upon every life, and that's what we're about. So uh, at the end of service, every service, we're going to open it up, and in fact, tonight, um, I guess at presence night, every space is the altar, but tonight, I really felt like God put on my heart that we should pray for healing, that we should pray for freedom, freedom over minds and over bodies and over spirits, and we should pray for restoration. So we really want to pray for you. Our prayer team is going to be here. They're coming early. They're, they're here like in like half an hour, an hour early. They're going to be praying over the space and praying over um, just really in preparation for what God's going to do. I'm actually leading worship tonight, and I feel like it's my heart uh, to declare over you the words of God and the words of Scripture that chains might be broken, that, that bodies might be restored, that minds might be renewed. So I really encourage you prioritize that time. Because, man, I, I believe that a revival is beginning in this church, in this space. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're on our last week of the giving series, uh, our series on money and finances. That gets the big amen, right? did a series on relationships and sex and, and now money, and our next one's on worship. Uh, one of our, our kids' team uh, leads joked with me. He's like, our, our year theme should have been sex, money, and rock and roll. Uh, but I know, missed opportunity, y'all. Really, really a missed opportunity. Um, but we are on our last, our last one, and today I want to talk to you about multiplication. Somebody say multiplication. Multiplication. I, uh, I've been helping my daughter. My daughter's in first grade. Uh, she just finished last week, and I am, I'm in a mind blown because she's literally this big. She's like so tiny. Uh, and I, I look at her, and I think, how are you now in second grade? How are you a second grader? Like, I mean, because, you know, it's like the day after you graduate first grade, you're like, they're like, I'm a second grader. It's like, well, not yet. You still got a couple months. But in her brain, I'm in second grade. And I was like, oh, my gosh. But my daughter goes to a dual language school, so they— uh, uh, she, goes, she goes to Pueblo, it's a public school, but they do English and Spanish, and uh, they, her classes, 
some classes are in English and some classes are in Spanish. And interestingly enough, I think they chose the hardest classes for Spanish because her Spanish classes are science and math. <laughs> I wasn't good at math and English. <laughs> Right? And now you're like, math is numbers. What does language have to do with it? Well, first and foremost, uh, it has everything to do with it, right? Because not only are the numbers in Spanish, so I got to know, you know, the Spanish words for all the numbers, but the instructions to do the math are in Spanish and to do the science are in Spanish. I barely know those words in English. When's the last time we tried to take a biology test? Try taking one in Spanish or helping a first grader understand on the internet how to take a biology test in a language she doesn't speak and you don't speak and mom is cycling and you don't know what the answers are so you just make it up and tell her it's the first grade. I don't even think they can fail you. Let's take a mental health day. Go to the zoo, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> you can do that now. Any day can be a mental health day. And, you know, we needed a lot of them this year. Um, bless, God bless you, teachers. If you're a teacher in here, God bless you, honestly. Because I think we're pretty attentive people, but even we were not that helpful this year. But uh, I loved helping her. In math, I could do the addition, right? Uno plus uno equals dose. I was there, father of the year in that moment. Uh, even subtraction, uno minus uno is zero. I don't even know what minus or plus is in Spanish. That's how, that's how low it is. My wife is fluent in Spanish. I am non-fluent, as they say, in Spanish. In Espanol, ¿cómo se dice non-fluent? I don't know, okay. Um, <laughs> but the hard part is when you get to multiplication. <laughs> Because, you know, I, got, I get all the way up to, like, doce, trece, and then I lose it somewhere at, you know, that U2 song. Um, but I, in multiplication, it's like a whole nother level, right? Because now it's like seis times 21, and it's like, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what words those are. I'm trying to explain it to her because it goes, like, infinitely at a greater scale, right? The, the truth about multiplication, no matter what number it is, is you are getting something far greater than you started with. It's actually kind of funny because multiplication is not just in math or numbers. It's in relationships. Did you know that marriage is multiplication? That when you get married, you multiply each other uh, positively or negatively. That's why I tell people, uh, be careful that you don't marry a negative. Because no matter how great you are, if you multiply it by a negative, you just get a bigger negative number. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a principle. It's true in so many parts of our life. Multiplication brings something greater. But did you know this? Did you know that God is actually a God of multiplication? Uh, the God that we serve is a God of multiplication. Let me ask you a question. And I'm going to give you so much uh, context for this question. So don't hear that this is a prosperity message or a giving gift message. But let me ask you a question. Would it be okay with you if God multiplied your resources? Okay, then let me explain. There are principles of multiplication in Scripture that Jesus teaches and talks about that I want to share with you today. No matter what you're coming in with, no matter how you're approaching this space, that God can use what you have and who you are and multiply it for something amazing for His kingdom. We're going to jump to Luke chapter 9. 
the words will be on the screen, but let's pray before we jump into Scripture together. Mighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us. And we pray as you read, as we read your word, we pray that you would move upon our hearts, that there is no condemnation on, in, in you, Jesus Christ, but we also know that there is challenging conviction and transformation. So God, we thank you that you take us all as we are, but you also transform us and renew us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We give it to you in your name. All God's people said, Amen. All right, well, let's look at Luke chapter 9. We're going to talk about multiplication, a really powerful narrative of Jesus Christ. But let's start there on uh, verse 10. Hit me with an amen if you got it. Amen, amen baby. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good amen. I don't know whose baby that is, but ready to change the world. Uh, on the return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done, and Jesus took them and withdrew to withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured cured those who had need of healing. It says, now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, meaning the twelve disciples, came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to find lodging and something to eat. Oh, and get provisions, for here we are in a desolate place. It says, but Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes, unless we're to go buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Let's stop there. So they go to this uh, set-apart place. The crowd follows them. And now it says there are 5,000 men. And this is often referred to the feeding of the 5,000. But there's actually even more people than that. This would actually be more accurately described as the feeding of the 20,000 plus. Because in this time, they only counted the head of household, the male. So they didn't count the spouses and the children. And we know this in Matthew 14, 21 tells us those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So Jesus feeds in this narrative right here, Jesus feeds 20,000 plus people. That's a low number. That's like assuming that, that like, you know, uh, that two kid to every couple, you know, number of Western culture. But that was not that culture, right? So that's a low number. Jesus feeds them with five loaves and two fishes. I think that's a God of multiplication. Amen? That is a God of multiplication. So here's what happens. It says, for there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in about groups of 50 each. Now that right there is a miracle. Because could you imagine getting 20,000 people to sit in groups of 50? If like right now I was like, let's break up this room into 15 people. You know how long that would take? Like so long. <laughs> it's just, anyways, that's an unknown miracle. And it doesn't matter. We'll just keep going. Uh, so they broke up into groups of 50. That was a miracle to me as a pastor. Uh, if you're a teacher, you know. You know what I'm talking about. He's like, let's do smaller groups. And it takes like an hour to get them in groups of three. Someone fights over a lab partner, and now, you know, Tiffany's feuding with, you know, Brittany or whatever it is. So anyways, 50 each. And it says, and they did so, and he had them all sit down. It says, and taking those five loaves and two fish, he, Jesus, looked up to heaven, said a blessing over them, he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. 
and they all ate and were satisfied. And look at this. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. So they have 12 baskets of leftovers. They started with with a few fish and loaves of bread, right? Two fish, five loaves, right? They started with this, but they ended up with 12 baskets. Why 12 baskets? It was like 12 tribes of Israel. God loves 12. What is it? Well, I think it was because there was 12 disciples. And so at the end of it, every disciple could hold in their hands the evidence that God is the God of multiplication, that the Messiah is a God of multiplication. And I know sometimes when we read Scripture or we hear about Scripture, we think, well, that's a, that's a religious text from a couple thousand years ago, and these are stories that people wrote. But no, no, no. Uh, this is not a religious, religious text. This is a very clear telling of history from the perspective of Christ as the Messiah. This is a narrative. This is not a made-up story, meaning this happened in history and in time, which means people literally physically experienced this. Does that make sense? People experience this. But often when we read Scripture, I think sometimes we think, like, that's like another world, right? Like, we read, like, The Hobbit, or maybe you read, like, I don't know, like, Harry Potter or something, and then you read the Bible, and you're like, that's all the same kind of fiction. No, this is actually real, and New Zealand is real, but Lord of the Rings is not, right? Are you with me? Some of you are like, how dare you? Well, that's just true. You're an adult. You should know this. Um, <laughs> but it's giving the biblical narrative. It's explaining what's happening. But I think we should put ourselves in the disciples' place. Can we do that? Just, you know, some of you, you're visually going to close your eyes. Some of you, you'll fall asleep if you close your eyes, so don't do that. Um, but put yourself in the disciples' place in this experience. Just imagine that you are one of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. So you've been following this guy. You think pretty strong likelihood he might be the Messiah. You've seen him heal the sick. You've seen him do all kinds of stuff. You've seen him uh, walk on water. That was a big one. You saw him at a wedding turn water into wine and throw, like, the dopest party. And you're like, hey, Jesus, when are we going to go back to weddings? Right? We could really bring in some money with this water conversion thing we're doing, right? So Jesus knows how to party. And so in this moment, uh, Jesus has decided to take a little siesta, right? And so they've gone off. But a big crowd shows up, and Jesus, being Jesus, says, Hey, let's just throw like an old school uh, service here. Let's just start preaching the word. So he goes up on the hill, and just imagine you're one of the disciples, and you think, Okay, he has not given us a frame of time. He's not told us when it's going to start and end, but he's just going to start teaching. So imagine you guys showed up here, and we're like, all right, God's moving, God's doing something, and like Alex got the worship band going, and you know, he's like playing one of his 12 guitars that he has up here, and they're just like going to town, worshiping. They do that thing like back in the old days where they do five songs with like eight reprisals. Be like, open up your book to this page and this page, and then we're doing this, and the choir goes, and then another reprisal, and then, right? You know, what I'm, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, that was a thing? Yes, church used to be like eight hours long, um, but not now. Now it's only four. Just, no, I'm joking. It's like an hour. Um, but then imagine after a while, it's like still going. Right? The preacher got up. Jesus gets up. He's teaching. And it's like noon. And you're like, wow, Jesus, uh, he's still going, huh? I mean, it's good. I mean, it's Jesus, so it's good. It's like, I don't want to complain because it's Jesus. But like, he's still going, huh? It's like maybe 1230. You think, okay, you know, I know Aloe Cafe. They're only open till one. I'm not hitting these brunch plants. Right? Like, I'm not hitting brunch if he keeps going, and I can't get up because it's Jesus. 
right? And so maybe he goes a little longer. It's like one o'clock. You're like, all right, brunch is over. Now I got to start considering like that weird like lunch, half lunch, uh, dinner option where it's like I know my, my wife's going to be hungry at like five o'clock later. And it's like, so then we're going to have to do this weird pre-dinner mode. And then two o'clock rolls around. You're like, oh my gosh, he's still going. Can you picture this, right? Just imagine this service just going till like three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, right? And you're just like, are we, I mean, it's good because it's Jesus, right? I mean, I'm sure everything he's saying is awesome, but you're thinking like, maybe, man, maybe like break it up. We'll call it like Sermon on the Mount, and you can like break it up, and then we can all go home, right? Because after a while, if you're a real human being, you're going to get hungry, amen? We're like, okay, Jesus, man, we are in the desert, in the desert, right? The only thing bottomless here is sand, right? <laughs> And we're hungry. And we know that it's been going on for a long time because Scripture tells us in Luke 9, 12, it says, Now the day began to wear away. That's exactly what that means. It means it began to end. The day was almost over. And I can picture the disciples, right? We know Philip is the one who had this engaging conversation with Christ, but I can picture them like real concerned about Peter. Y'all know Peter, right? He's the guy when they try to take Jesus, cut someone's ear off. I can't imagine that guy's a pleasure to be around when he's hangry, right? I can't imagine somebody whose like go-to move is ear chop being like super chill and not needing a Snickers, right? Like I imagine there's tension there. I imagine he's grumbling in the background. I imagine Judas is saying something under his breath, right? Like we just need to kill this guy, right? I'm, Judas betrays Jesus. I know, if you haven't in a church, so Judas betrays Jesus and he died. Okay, never mind. It's not important. Okay. <laughs> Some of y'all think church is way too serious than it is. <laughs> but I imagine this tension that's living there. And so if I was in the disciples' place, and if you were in the disciples' place, I think we'd probably be like, we got to do something, right? We, we have to say something. It's 5 o'clock. Uh, Peter's impossible when he's hungry. We need to tell him to send the crowds away to get food. See, We'll go to him and we'll say, listen, Jesus, like, we're cool, man. Like, we're with you. We're about what you're saying. But you know how, like, the crowds are. They're hungry. They, I mean, we'll stick around. I mean, unless you need us. I mean, we'll go. I mean, do you need us to go or stay or clean up? What are we doing, right? But the crowds, the crowds need to go. And so we know from Scripture that Philip, he kind of he gets uh, nominated here, so to speak, and, and he goes up to speak to Jesus. But I want to put it in perspective. Just imagine, not this room, but uh, how about Salt River Field? Or like if you've ever been in an arena, just imagine someone's preaching in, a, in an arena, and it's your job to go up to him and tell him to stop because everybody's hungry. That's, the, that's called the short straw. Has anyone ever drawn the short straw? This is called the short straw, where you got to go up to Jesus and be like, hey, man, doing a, doing a great job, buddy. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Uh, yeah, you are the Messiah. Uh, um, we were all talking, and we think, we think, uh, as you're looking out to the 20,000 people, we think uh, the people are hungry and that you, um, with the, the speaking, should stop. <laughs> <laughs> and you should tell all these people to get out of here <laughs> so, that, so that they could go eat. And so that's what Jesus does, right? No. This is what Jesus says to him. Hey, I, I think we should tell them that they need to go into the town to get something to eat. Jesus said to them, Luke 9, 13, Oh, okay. You give them something to eat. 
huh, that is not the response you're expecting from Jesus in that moment. Again, hear me when I say 20,000 people, 20,000, 20,000 people, right? 20, I don't know what that is in Spanish, many thousands of people in Spanish. My wife's so mad at me because she knows what it is, and I don't because I'm me. Um, Many thousands of people. He says, you feed them. And I can't imagine what going back to the other disciples would be like from that moment. You kind of like snuck up into the group, and then you had it. Maybe it was like old school where they, you know, how the choir and all the other pastors used to be on the stage. And so you just, he just kind of went back to his spot on the rock, and and he just sat there, and they're like, what did he say? Uh, Yeah, he, um, he told us we should do it. They're like, we should do it. You got a picture. These are 11 dudes, 12 dudes who have lived together for low-key like a year and a half. Could you imagine just the random pointless fights and arguments they would get in? Come on, man. You know what I'm talking about. This would be one of those arguments. Like, did you tell him correctly? It's like, yeah, I think I, I, I knew it. I knew we should have sent somebody else, man. You softballed it in, and now we're going to be here for another eight hours. Right? He's going to come back again by the time he finishes this sermon. <laughs> He says, you do it. And so they're looking around for solutions, and we know from the other Gospels that what happens is Andrew spots some kid walking through the crowd and snatches his lunch. John 6, 8 tells us, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Again, put yourself in this position. You're in Salt River Fields, or maybe you're at the Glendale Stadium or something, right? And it's like, Jesus tells you, hey, man, you need to feed all these people. And you're like, okay, cool, 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 cool. And then you just see like a nine-year-old walking with like two bags of Chick-fil-A. You're like, get him, right? (laughs) And they get his food, and they bring it to Jesus, and they say, basically, this is all we have. All we have is two Chick-fil-A sandwiches and five fries. And I think the goal here is to say, we don't have enough to do what you've asked us to do. And I think that's such a human response. God, I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough opportunity. I don't have enough to do what you called me to do. Anyone ever been there? We don't have enough. What are they for so many? What are these resources? God, when I look at the world, when I look at the need, I don't have enough to fulfill the need. What are they for so many? What are these resources I have to fulfill such a great, powerful, overwhelming, exhaustive need? And that's what they're saying. And so I think they bring them to Jesus and say, listen, all we got is these two Chick-fil-A sandwiches and five regular-sized fries, no Chick-fil-A sauce. We cannot feed 20,000 people with this. We need at least four or five more Chick-fil-A sauces. But Jesus says, you feed them. They say, no, we, we don't have enough to do what you've called me to do. It doesn't make sense, Jesus. And this is what I love about Jesus. It doesn't make sense. Hear me, tithing doesn't make sense. Doing it God's way doesn't make sense. In the eyes of the world, tithing doesn't make sense. In the eyes of the world, doing it God's way does not make sense. More and more and more. It is completely confusing. Why would you do it this way? In the eyes of the world, 
but the ways of God work because God is good and he is powerful and he is supernatural and the ways of God work always. And so he says, have them sit down in groups of 50. And so you, the spokesperson, have to go back and say, listen, we snatched this lunch. We kind of thought that'd be our ticket out. You know, without the smell would maybe awaken something. He's like, man, you know what? We do need to eat, right? But instead, he said, take this. So we gave it to him, and he said, go tell them to sit down into groups of 50. And so the people began to sit down. And it's interesting. I wonder if as they're sitting down, they might have had some recollection or some thought of something that had happened in the Old Testament with Elisha. See, the, the Jewish people, maybe, you know, there was, a, there, was, there was Jewish disciples of Christ. Most of them were Jewish, right? They, they would have grown up in an understanding of uh, being raised in the synagogue and hearing the stories of Elijah and Elisha. And in 2 Kings 4, there is a story where Elisha feeds a hundred men with 20 loaves of bread. And it literally multiplied in front of their eyes. So maybe they're thinking, well, maybe he's like a new Elisha, and he's going to kind of do the same thing. When, it, when, when he prays for it, it's just going to like multiply. It's going to be like Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. It's going to look like catering exploded out of the sky, right? Maybe they thought that. Maybe they thought when he prays, it will multiply. But what's amazing is that's not what happened. It did not multiply when he prayed for it. Let me, let me explain. Luke 9, 16, it says, And taking the five loaves and two fish— can you just imagine just the scale of this? I need you to imagine walking in to see an Arizona Coyotes game and someone handing you two trout and five noble breads and saying, it's your job to feed this stadium. Oh, I feel a little anxious thinking about it, if I'm going to be honest, right? That is what's happening. But it says, he took the five loaves and the two fresh fish. He looked up to heaven, said a blessing over them. Look at that. He said a blessing over them. He blessed them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Jesus takes it. He blesses it. And then he hands half of it back to Peter to go give out. Could you imagine being Peter in this moment? like, Jesus, I don't want to tell you how to live your life, but breaking things apart is not technically multiplication, <laughs> right? Just imagine if your kid is like, Dad, we need more ice cream, and you just took half of their ice cream and said, now it's more. Be like, no. <laughs> That's this instance. If you don't believe me, try that on your children, grandchildren, just, you know, some kid you see at the store, right? Break it in half and see what happens. See if they think it's more, right? They will cry. If they know it's not. So he breaks it. How, what is that? Peter's probably thinking like, is that it? I kind of thought it might be like the whole wine thing where like everybody was chilling and then you just like made more and then we're all like, what? Right? Like I kind of thought that would happen before our eyes. But it doesn't. Jesus says, I blessed it. Now go give it away and see that it multiplies. There's a difference here. There's a principle here. It says, you give it to me first, I bless it, and now watch what I give you is multiplied. Are you with me still? And so Peter, he takes it. Can you imagine just taking this half of a loaf of bread, and he takes it in like, I don't know, like maybe like a basket or like a container or like a smock or something. I don't know. And he starts handing it out. And have you ever been in like a potluck and you know ahead of time there's not enough food? You know what I'm talking about. Like you know that when you said everyone bring a side— Everyone thought that meant chips, and they were wrong. 
You know what I'm talking about. Young adults, you know what I'm talking about. I've seen your potlucks. It's, it's one person over 30 bringing a protein and everybody under 20 bringing chips. You, you know who you are. Uh, <laughs> the potato salad that gets forgotten in my fridge and I find it like six days later. Yeah. Uh, and so you know that moment of like when you have in your hand that thing, and I can just picture Peter like hand, you know, starting to lay it before and like just staring the person in the eyes as they take a piece like, oh, don't you dare take too much. Don't, 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 don't. And they're just moving out of the next person. And like so afraid because it's like 2,000 people. He's on aisle 1A, right? Seat A1, A2. He's got to get up to double J45, right? With with one like just fish that 20,000 people have touched. This is for sure pre-COVID, right? Like you would not let 20,000 people touch the same fish today, Right? But I imagine in them, okay, when is it multiplying? When is the miracle happening? See, the miracle did not happen in Jesus' hands. Jesus blessed it, but the miracle happened in the giving. As Peter was giving, as Philip was giving, as they were going around, as Thomas is giving, there is a multiplication that is happening in the act of giving. They gave it, it was blessed, and then Jesus gave to them and said, now go give it out. Are you with me still? The miracle happened when they gave. Here's two principles of multiplication. Number one, it has to be blessed before it can multiply. So big. We've been talking about this for three weeks now, four weeks now. All throughout Scripture, the way our finances are blessed is by bringing the first 10% into the house of God according to Scripture. Jesus receives our tithe and the church stewards it. The hard part is that some people bring a little here and a little there, but their finances are not blessed and they don't multiply because only Jesus can bless them. Let me ask you a question. If the disciples had given out the bread and loaves before Jesus blessed it, would it have multiplied? Probably not. In the same way, when we give a little here and give a little there, yes, it will feed mouths and it will fill stomachs, but is it blessed and will it multiply? No, it must come into Jesus. First, our finances must be brought under the principle of Jesus Christ so that he can first bless it so that the rest of it has the blessing of Jesus upon it. Again, I'm not, I'm not preaching a condemnation here. I'm just preaching truth. And you're not a bad person if you don't give generously. And you're not a bad person if you don't tithe. But you're certainly not under principle. And we live in a world of like 4% or 8% or 6%. And we think that that principle, for some reason, we put biblical principles in this weird bubble where they're not applied to any other part of our life. So let's apply that principle. So 100% of the tithe. So our 10%. 100% of that. Right? Not, not, not. Not 8%, not 4%, 10% right there, 100%. Just imagine if you applied that principle to your marriage. My wife gets all of my love that is for her, that is set for her. My kids get love, my family gets love, but there is my heart, and my heart is for my wife. Now, what if I told her, listen, I'm working on it, babe, so you're going to get, you know, I know you're supposed to get the 10% the that's set aside for you, but you're going to get just a portion of that, so you're going to get the weekday portion, but on the weekend portion, I'm just not there yet, so I'm going to give that to someone else. Would you consider that a healthy relationship? 
No, certainly not. I hope one of you would punch me in the face if I ever did that. <laughs> you have free reign <laughs> if I ever do that to my wife. But that is the reality that we live in with our finances. We say, God, I know it's yours. I know it belongs to you, but I don't want to give you all of it, so I'm going to give you part of it, but I still want you to bless it. If it's not a blessed marriage, it's certainly not going to be blessed finances. Percentages are pretty cut and dry. They're pretty straightforward. Principles are straightforward. And what happens is we begin to apply them out. We're like, ah, oh, that doesn't feel good. I'm like, yes, but just because you ignore it in your finances doesn't make it less true. And so we, unfortunately for us, we miss that blessing. Hear me say, this is a blessing on your life. People say, well, can I divide my tithe? I, I don't believe, and I've yet to find in the Scripture where God is saying, bring someone to the storehouse and send some over here and, and send some over here and send some over here. Listen, I believe in missions. We give above and beyond to missions. I believe it. We have given tens upon tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of dollars to missions as a church. We're the seventh highest missions-giving church, uh, Assemblies of God Church in this state, and we are not the seventh largest. <laughs> so... We, we value it. I understand we support 27 missionaries and local organizations and all kinds of things. I value it. But the principle of tithe is to bring what is God's into the storehouse. Giving more, that, that's called being generous. That's called giving. But it's not the same as tithing. People say, okay, well, can I bring my time? Can I tithe with my time? I know we live in a culture that says time is money, but hear me, money is money. And you're like, what do you mean? I mean basically fundamentally that. Jesus is talking about money. You know, if he wanted to say time, you know what he would have said? Time. You know how I know that? Because he's God. <laughs> and, and, and he knows what, what would needed to have been said. He said what needed to be said. And he said money. And the very fact that it's such a hang-up for us kind of tells us he chose the right word. It tells us that he knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew exactly what we were serving. It's funny, you know, Katie and I, we've been tithing, um, you know, since we've been following Jesus, because we're part of churches that, that taught that, and my wife is, like, the most spiritual person on earth, so she's been tithing for forever, I think, like, from the womb. She got, like, you know, she got, like, you know, an allowance when she was, like, three, and she, you know, still gave to the Lord. Um, <laughs> but she had family that taught her biblical principles, and so we've been tithing a long time, and I think it's funny, because people will talk to me and say, like, well, it's just so easy for you to give. And I say, well, let me tell you a little bit about when we really decided if we were going to be faithful givers or not. My wife and I, when we first got uh, married, uh, we were like, okay, we want to, or, you know, a year after we got married, we are like, we want to move into a house. This is three years after we got married. I was like, it's been, we've been together for 17 years. It's all a blur. Um, and we're like, we want to buy a house. It was during the housing collapse, so you could literally buy a house in our hometown for $90,000 uh, because my hometown was junky, and that's, <laughs> that's how it worked. Same reason there's a crack house on my street. Like, that's how it worked, right? But it was great for us, but we didn't have any money, so we sold our cars, and then I'd ride my bike to work, and, you know, it was not great. Um, but that's how we got a house. Now, this house was built in 1926, and it was heated by oil. Um, I don't know if you ever had a house heated by oil, but I can affirmatively say this house might solely be responsible for killing the earth. <laughs> I, I don't know a lot about uh, how the earth works. I love caring for the earth, but I tell you, this house did not care for the earth. Whoever built this house did not care if the sky existed, because oil heating literally 
is like the worst form of heating. I felt like I was in like an old like Ebenezer Scrooge movie. Every time we'd fire it up and just black smoke would come out, we'd look like a train. We actually lived by the train tracks, so you know, it kind of fit. Um, but, but I remember it would, you know, it's cold in Washington. We lived in Washington, and I would be in the basement because this oil furnace would break all the time because oil is also very dirty, and it would clog up. And so I would take this furnace apart, and I would pull the insides out, and it'd be about 40 degrees in my basement, and usually it was full of a little bit of water because Washington, and there I would sit pretty much every other night fixing this furnace in my basement. And I can tell you there were times in my life where I questioned if I couldn't use that money in better ways. What if I just kept that in my storehouse and paid for this? And not only that, at the same time, we felt God call us to give above and beyond to missions, to give above and beyond to what we called REACH, which was uh, local church planning and global missions and, and local initiatives, like we would say love the block, those kind of things. And so we felt called by God to be generous above and beyond our tithe to fund those things. You know, the reason these things happen is because people give to them. And so we're like, okay, we feel called by God. But I can tell you there were many moments of riding my bike to work only to come home to sit in a 40-degree house, which is cold in case you're wondering, and fix a furnace that I thought surely we could just keep this and no one would care. But what's amazing is as we were faithful with a little, mind you, a little, like a little, little, like the government said, you don't make enough, here's some stuff, that, that amount of money. When we were faithful in that space, God honored us, and God supported us. And I, not even just financially, I'm talking in miracles. I saw people radically healed physically in that season of life because I did not give up. I saw people's lives transformed. I saw marriages restored. I saw bodies healed. I saw blind people receive sight. I saw lame people walk. I saw paralyzed people play the drums, right? I mean, we're talking real stuff. But we lived in a place of generosity even without a lot. And again, I'm not saying this to toot my own horn or, or to say I'm amazing. I'm saying this to say if you're in this place, I can understand with you, right? That often when you see me on the stage, you might think like, oh, well, you know, your wife is so stylish. You guys must be doing well, and everything's great, and it's great for you, and it's easy for you. But I just want to say, like, I have also been in that space of sitting on the floor covered in oil wondering, is this really it? I get it. I've been there. But I've also been in the place of standing and laying my hand on someone's eye and seeing them healed. I've seen people rescued off of the streets, and I've stood there and thought, this is really it. This is it. This is worth it. And so my wife and I, when we moved here, uh, we moved here five years ago, which is so crazy. Five years ago, man, is it almost six now? It's five? It's five? Okay, five. It feels like forever. Uh, five years ago, we moved with a group of people, and uh, I was looking for a job, and I connected with a church that was up north in McCormick Ranch, and they said, hey, we're going to relaunch. Do you want to help us? We'll pay you this much. And I was like, well, I need a job, and that would help me. And we, ha we are currently a no-income family moving to a brand new state, living off the income of selling our house. So it's like, we got to figure it out and make it happen. And we're entrepreneurial, but I would love a steady thing. So I started helping them and working with them. And did you know that that is what became Banner Church? That's what became Banner Church. I've been a part of four building campaigns, and now we own this building completely and totally outright. That's amazing. 
But we came here, and, and I remember those moments thinking like, okay, what do we do about giving? Because we're not making very much money, and we're serving, and we're trying to launch a church, and we're like housing these people and feeding them. What do we do? And, and I would have people, even people from my team, come and tell me, like, we're just struggling financially. And I'd be like, you have literally no idea the scale of what we're facing right now. And, but I was like, you know what? We could not give. And technically, no one would know. And we could not give above and beyond to missions. And no one would blame us, I don't think. I don't think anyone would have blamed us if we didn't give to the missionaries and the people and the organizations we support. But man, we had a conversation like, no, this is what God has called us to. And I don't want to miss out on this amazing blessed life that we've been experiencing just because things get hard. See, there's a moment of faith here. There's a moment of faith here. See, if it hasn't stood up to difficulty, if it hasn't stood up to storms, it's not faith in God. It's just opinions about God. It becomes faith when it has to stand against something. It becomes faith when it has to be rooted, when it has to be secured. If not, it's just your opinion. And then it, depending on if it stands up to something, then it's faith. Then it's real. And so, so we said, no, God, we have faith in you. And in that faith, God has immensely blessed and made a way. And what's amazing is we have shifted for a long time from this mindset of, God, do we, you know, what, 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 are, what do we have to give, and, you know, what, what do we have to give this year to, God, what do we get to give? What are you calling us to give? Because it seems like every time you call us out, no matter how scary it is, you do something amazing. You do something incredible. God, when you call us out generously, you move. If you have lived a generous life, you know this. You know that when God calls you to step out generously, he does something amazing. He very rarely calls you out into generosity and meets it with mediocrity. He usually always meets it with the miraculous. It was cool, though, that, that first year we said, okay, no, you know what? God has called us to this. This is the principle we believe in. We're facing it. It's tough. But you know what? We're going to give. We're going to be faithful with it. And what's cool is my wife had this side business, and she started up in that time. And for every dollar we gave above and beyond in generous giving, God bring back through this business that she started. So we ended the year saying, okay, now we should give all of that. Because it seems like every time we're generous, God's generous. Are you still with me? When you do it God's way, it works. You will never convince me that generosity is a coincidence. Because I have seen God move in such powerful ways because of generosity. Second thing, second thing today. It has to be given before it can multiply. See, that first principle refers to tithing, this idea of first, bring your first into church so it can be blessed. But once it has been blessed, now you can give over and above. You can give to missions. You can give to love, to love the block. You know, that's how those things happen, right? It's because people give to them. Let me ask you a question. What if when Jesus blessed it, the disciples said, thanks, Jesus, and ate it? Would it have multiplied? Probably not. And yet, there are a lot of people who tithe but never give anything above and beyond. And it, it, it's not like a, a knock or an attack or like, oh, you should feel bad. It's just sad to me because then it doesn't have the potential to multiply. When we give what God has blessed, if God blesses our finances and we give, it has the chance to multiply. Fo follow me here because I want to make sure I'm so clear. It's a principle on giving. Someone say the word giving. Giving. 
So giving and offering and tithing are two different things. You're like, see, I knew it. The church is always wanting our money. It's like, no, I just love you enough to tell you about how God's going to bless your life. I remember when someone first taught me about giving. I was like, I do give. I tithe. They were like, no, tithing isn't giving. Tithing is bringing. You don't give 10%. You bring it back to God. You return it. The 10%, according to the Word of God, for those who profess to be believers of Jesus Christ, the 10% is God's. It's set apart. That's why Malachi, that's why Joshua say, if you keep it, it's stolen. But see, the principle of multiplication here is referring to giving over and above the tithe. It's a principle of generosity and multiplication. The question is, how do I know when God is calling me or when, when I should give generously? So let, let me tell you, it's really simple. Jesus says, I'll tell you. He says, my sheep know my voice. When you spend time in the presence of God and you get good at waiting upon him and listening to him, he will tell you. It's your choice if you listen, but he'll tell you. You don't have to be guilted into it. You don't have to be pressured into it. You don't have to feel like, oh my gosh, if I don't give to this like missions thing, then I'm a bad Christian and, you know, I don't love like, you know, starving kids in Africa. And so I must be, that's, that is not generosity. Generosity is being stirred by God. See, the tithe is the tithe. But what's amazing is the offering is what God multiplies once it's blessed. But in order for this to be blessed and to multiply, it has to leave our hands. See, God is a God of multiplication, but he's also a God of extravagant giving. And I say this to say, not that it's about an amount. It's not an adjustable tax bracket. Like, I, I've joked each time. It's like, God does not look at your money like the government looks at your money, right? There's not like an adjustable rate, right? This is just about the wealth of your heart, not the wealth of your hands. But God loves extravagant givers, David, when he's uh, setting, away, setting aside funds to build the temple of God, he gives, in a modern estimation, $21 billion. That is extravagant even for a king, right? That's a lot of money. $21 billion. But you might think today, listen, I don't have $21 billion. And if your multiplication is right, then zero times zero is still zero, so the multiplication principle doesn't work for me because I'm starting like, if you saw my bank account, I'm starting with that negative number you mentioned. But look at this, Luke 21. This is the heart of Christ. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they've contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus says, this woman, I know the world doesn't see it that way. I know, like, no one's going to clap and make a big deal for her here at the, at the temple. But you know what? She has given extravagantly. Hear me. God is concerned with the wealth of your heart, not the wealth of your hands. Money, it comes from here first before it leaves here. He's not talking about the wealth in your bank account. He's not talking about like if you have this much money, then be generous. He's saying your heart should be generous. Why? Because God's heart is generous. And so when we respond to the generous heart of God, we do it generously. 
John 3, 16, right? God so loved the world that he gave what? His only son. That's generous. That whosoever would believe in him will receive eternal life. That's generosity. That's a generous heart. We serve a God of generosity. And it's not like $100, $2, $1,000, a million dollars. He's saying, from your heart would generosity overflow. God is an extravagant giver, and he is constantly working in us to do a work in our lives so we can be more like him. But the reality is, in order for it to multiply, it has to be given. Jesus, who was given the only son, even said so. John 12, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Pretty simple principle of seeds, right? Uh, if you remember, we talked about Malachi, bringing in the first fruits, bringing in the, the first of the harvest into the, into the, the storehouse, into bless the, the church, into making sure the priests were fed, into that space of making sure the temple was cared for and the people of God were cared for. They would bring that in, the first 10%, and then all of it would be blessed. But what would happen if they ate the other 90%? Okay, I don't understand. Okay, let me explain. If you grow a bunch of wheat, you bring 10% into God, and you eat the other 90%, what are you going to plant? Nothing. That, the answer is nothing. People are like, 10, 90, en español is, right? <laughs> We've moved. We've moved on. What are you going to plant? Right? A seed must be planted in order for there to be a multiple, multiplied harvest. The great thing is, if I take one tiny seed, this is amazing. Like, if I were to hold up a lettuce seed right now, you couldn't see it. But I let my lettuce go to seed every year. And the reason I do that, I let the best lettuce bush, you know, grow up and just get massive and go to seed. And from that, I can get a sandwich bag size of seeds. But if I don't put that seed in the ground and I eat all of the lettuce and I never let it go to seed and create more and plant that seed, I don't get any more. Pretty simple principle. The same is true about our finances. Some of us are missing out on the blessing of a multiplied harvest because we eat all of the seed. And I'm not here to knock that. I'm just here to say, man, having seen the harvest, it's worth not eating all of your seed. Having seen it when I was feeling at the lowest point, if some of my highest points and giving generously and all those, can I say, man, it's worth not eating all of your seed. Man, it's worth seeding into God. You will reap what you sow. If you sow nothing, you're going to reap nothing. If you give nothing, you're going to reap nothing. But if you sow into the kingdom of God, you will see him move. That's a blessing. This is not a ticket to heaven. This is not an insurance of salvation. You have received your salvation by faith, not by works. But if you want to see more than the mundane and stepping out into the miraculous, it begins by planting a harvest. But we can't plant if we eat of all the seed. It's interesting, uh, when the churches uh, started shutting down because of COVID, uh, I, I would say COVID has been my most favorite and absolutely hated least favorite season of ministry uh, all at the same, same time. 
and I know for many of you, it was also a, uh, a very disliked and tragic season of your life. And I remember when it started, uh, people were uh, losing jobs and businesses, uh, loved ones. I mean, it just, it's, it's crazy what that season has done and, and in some ways, many ways, continues to do. And I was talking to uh, some of our, my pastor friends, and they were shutting down churches. They were, they were firing all of their staff, like letting them go and letting them go on unemployment because they literally in one day could not afford them. They were uh, closing buildings. They were canceling like all kinds of community care programs because they just couldn't be funded. Like literally like in a week, it was all gone because most of these organizations run on basically a nothing budget. And so as soon as people stop giving, they're gone. Some of the churches that I talked to and some friends of mine were closing churches, like never to reopen again. Like, I'm just not going to do it. I'm tired of getting yelled at for this. I'm tired of getting attacked for this. I I'm just exhausted. I'm tired. I'm done. And they close for good. And uh, it was interesting because we did 21 days of prayer and fasting because we do that every year at the beginning of the year, 21 days of prayer and fasting. And before COVID, God really spoke to me that there was going to be a season where people were going to live with a spirit of dread and that we needed to be prepared. And I would have never guessed with all of the money in the world, I would have never made a bet for global pandemic. I was thinking more like, you know, building issues or something, right? I was kind of like my expectations. But we entered this space, and I remember saying, like, man, I feel like God is calling us to do the opposite of what I've seen, which is people uh, trying to maintain, and yet I feel like God is calling us to a season of generosity. And this was so confirmed because I had people literally calling me on the phone saying, I feel like God has called us to be generous in this season. I was like, really? That's amazing, right? And so I remember like holding the finances of the church and like looking at it and meeting with the board and saying, we have a financial stewardship board, saying we're going to meet every couple weeks and we're going to see how we're doing. Every week we're going to keep our finger on the pulse. And so like every two, three, four weeks we'd meet over and over with the board during COVID to say, hey, how are we doing? Can we still take care of the 27 missionaries we promised to take care of? And I felt like I refused to live in a place of fear because God was calling us to a place of revival. And I said, we're going to go the other way. We're going to add more missionaries. We're going to go the other way. We're going to start community outreach. We're going to get connected to the school more than we have ever been in the history of this church. We're, I'm just going to go into the street every week with a group of people and tell people about Jesus. And so I drove around the city, and I, or actually I called the school. And I said, hey, where, do you, where, where could we go? They gave me a neighborhood. I said, Katie, let's get a group of people, and let's just start, and let's go every week. I want to tell you how much money we had for Love the Block to start. None money. So, like everybody else that started an outreach, uh, as, as you might know from talking to them, we did it with our money. And so we just go and buy, like, cleaning supplies and stuff like that. And Katie would be like, are you getting this receipt turned in? And I'd be like, sure. And then I'd be like, oh, I lost the receipt, right? Like, because there's none money for it. But I was like, God has called us, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lead in generosity. And so I just go to the dollar store and buy, like, all of this material and all of these things and just, like, literally pray over my debit card in that moment, like, oh, Jesus, multiply this. The person in the cashier is probably thinking, like, what is he doing? And I'm just like, God, I trust you. God, this is what you're calling us. And so we did that. 
But then what's amazing is as God began to move and we told story, people began to give generously and give thousands and thousands of dollars generously to love the block. And now we're at a scale where, I mean, we couldn't afford to do it. We gave it 120 pizzas uh, the other night to two different blocks. I couldn't afford to do that. We couldn't afford to do that. But it's because of your generosity. People who said, listen, I know it looks crazy in the world's eyes, but with kingdom eyes, we see what God wants to do. But can I tell you, it took us stepping out in faith when we could not see it. And we could not know. And we didn't know if that was going to lead to us being broke. And we didn't know if that was going to lead to us something not coming through and people not really caring. Can I remind you that a year and a half ago, people were not going door to door to care for people. I mean, I was. But as like a collective group, we weren't. And so it was 100 degrees and we wore masks and gloves and we wiped everything down and sterilized everything. And we went door to door paying rent and paying utilities and caring for people. And we took a step of generosity. And what God did is he met that with the miraculous. I have prayed for people to encounter Jesus Christ in their life. I have prayed for people to be transformed. I've seen miracles. I've seen miracles in their home. And I've seen miracles in this church because somebody took a step of faith of generosity that went above and beyond what they were bringing back to the Lord. Are you with me? It's amazing that God takes small steps of generosity and risky moves of generosity and he multiplies it. But we had to go first. I'm not going to ask you to go anywhere I've not gone. But it had to leave our hands in order for it to be multiplied. I couldn't wait for it to be multiplied and then give it. I had to give it so that it could be multiplied. We have to give it so it can be multiplied. Band, you guys can come up. There's a famous story about Solomon. Uh, and Solomon, uh, God comes to him one night and says, hey, ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. Could you imagine that? You'd be like, finally getting that Tesla, right? <laughs> no. He says, you can ask for anything, anything. And he asks for wisdom. And then he uses it for a little bit, as we all do. <laughs> He says, you can ask for anything. And I've always wondered, like, God comes to him. Why does he come to him? And I've always focused in that moment. But uh, I love looking right before that. What happened in the day? What happened the, in the day that led to this moment? Well, Solomon was inaugurated as king. And when you're inaugurated as king, you'd sacrifice a bull. It was a symbolic sacrifice uh, of a covenant that was being made. But Solomon, being the extra dude that he was, sacrificed 1,000 bulls. That's called extravagant. I feel like you get to 100, the job's done. You did it. But Solomon gave a thousand, and he didn't give a thousand to earn his kingship. God had already spoken that over his life. He did it in a response to his great love to a generous God. And so God encounters him in a moment of extreme generosity and says, listen, your heart is generous for the kingdom. What is it that you really long for? And he didn't ask for more money or resource. He didn't say like, well, I sacrificed a thousand bulls, so I guess a thousand bulls would be nice. He had the insight to ask for a kingdom response, for wisdom. The Lord says, I only tell extravagant givers to ask for anything they want. I'd never tell a selfish person or a stingy person because I can't trust them. Can I tell you that the choice to begin in generosity at this church, even at Love the Block, it's not even the first choice that Katie and I have made like this for this, over this church, but it has really changed the course 
of the church. And I, I was thinking about this even as I was between services, that every time God calls us to a moment of extreme generosity, he meets it with an extreme move of God. In fact, before COVID, when the church was just exploding, we were seeing God move in powerful ways. And we were praying for God to move like never before. He called us to a moment of generosity. And we really prayed about it. But he was faithful. And it was interesting as I was praying in this space about, uh, about COVID and, and what we were going to do in the call. And we just began to give generously and live out in that space. I felt like God really speak to me like, what is the desire of your heart for this church and for, for your life? And it's kind of that like, what, what, are, what are you asking for? That openness that God gives. And I, I just cried out to God the same thing I've been saying since I moved here, which is I want a church where you, Lord, break oppression and depression that is holding people in chains in their life, that you would break that off of them. I want a church that is on fire for seeing the lost come to know you that is on fire, that burns for it. That's what I want. I don't care what goes in the bank account. I don't care what goes in the finances. We'll keep giving and I keep trusting and you keep providing. But what I really want is that person right now, whether you're here or online or sitting in, maybe they're in their house somewhere, who feels like they are unwanted, unloved, and unneeded, that God, you would meet them in their place and you would remind them that they got a plan and purpose on their life, that you would remind them that they are loved, that you would remind them that they are special and precious to you, that you would remind them that there's nothing that binds them that you cannot break away. There's nothing that holds them that you cannot release. There is nothing they have broken that you cannot restore. There is no life too far gone that you cannot breathe into it and bring it and make it whole. That's what I want. That is what I long for for the kingdom. I want extravagant revival so I give extravagantly to what God wants to do. And I believe he's going to multiply it because he's already blessed it. I know God will multiply our finances because I know he's blessed them. And if God's blessed it, he will steward it well. Can I just encourage you? If you live a life of generosity, you will not be disappointed. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to have a generosity moment, just a very clear response to this message. It's something that was brought up, and um, it was I was interesting to see it kind of like circulate in, in our social media and in the call. So I'm just going to put a really clear call out, and we'll see what we can do. And it goes, it's this. We have uh, some awesome people here from Aimright Ministries. In fact, I think y'all are in the back, right? Yeah, what's up? Uh, an incredible ministry that ministers to teens and youth uh, in downtown Phoenix. If you've been to Unite Phoenix on one of our Saturdays, in fact, next Saturday, if you've not been, come. I will show you how cool Unite Phoenix is, and you'll have a good time. But uh, Aimright is an incredible ministry, and for years they've been taking young people up to the mountains to experience uh really a special time with the Lord. I mean, it's fun and amazing, but man, the win, right, is that they can encounter how much God cares for them and be empowered that their life has purpose in the kingdom. Amen? And so uh, our men's director, Dave, uh, he got this, just this burning desire on his heart to do this. And so he got Patrick. And since they both have big 
beards. They said, listen, uh, we've never shaved our beard, but if we raise $12,500 to send every single one of these kids to camp and the bus to do it, we'll shave our beards. And I do really love that, and I still think it should happen. But I think something even better should happen here, and here's what it is. At this church, I long for God, and we long for God to be investing into the next generation through a youth ministry, but we don't really have a youth ministry. And so here's what I think. I'm going to take some of the seed that we have, and I'm going to plant it into Amorite, into these young people. Not that they would come here and be this youth ministry, but, but the, I mean, praise God if they did, but that God would honor that and plant, bring a harvest of youth at this church. Are you following me? This is a seed to bring about a harvest. So I told Dave, let's do it. I'm going to present the opportunity and say, let's seed into these young kids' lives, but importantly, into the kingdom. And I believe that God will honor that, not only in their lives, that their eternity will be shaped and transformed and empowered by the Most High God who loves them more than we could ever ask or imagine, but also we believe for what God does in a church that honors Him in generous giving. Amen? Amen. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, at the end of service, I'm going to open the altar. We're going to have it for time of response. But before we even get there, I want you uh, to, I'm going to pray for you. We're going to watch a movie. And as we watch, I just want you to prayerfully consider allowing God to speak in your heart and stir you into a moment of generosity. Now, we have from first service and all that, we've raised $5,600. So yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. We're almost halfway there. Like, we will make this happen. I just, I, be, I believe. So, uh, I, I want us to watch this, but here's what, here's how you can respond. You can, uh, we have these little envelopes, you can write on there, aim right, if you like to give in person, or literally, while this video is going, you can pull out your phone, you can go on the Church Center app, or you can go to Banner Church slash give, and you can uh, just select aim right, it'll drop down. When you select give now, then you, it'll go give you a little form and you drop down and you can literally give right now. But I want you to watch this video and I want you just to pray with your spouse or pray by yourself in this moment. And I want this to be God-led, not guilt-led because God-led generosity brings a multiplication that is powerful and miraculous, amen? Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are generous and that you multiply. And so we pray as we step out in generosity, God, especially for these incredible young people, for this next generation who so deeply needs their identity secured in you, God, we pray that you would stir us, move us, use us, even the smallest seed. I reject the lie of the enemy that's speaking to somebody right now that says what you have to offer is not enough because we know even if it's the five loaves and two fish for 20,000, it's more than enough. And we thank you in your name. Amen. Let's watch this video together.